Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Uh, today, Kit Farrell is going to join me again to talk about how there's really not many excuses that we can really use for running an unprofitable business and that ultimately it's our decisions that lead to whether or not we're prop- profitable. So, uh, Kit, thanks so much for joining me again and, and welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Always a pleasure, Jared. I, uh, I recently was looking at the University of Minnesota here has this thing called FinBin. It's their data where they collect data on the producers across the state and and it blew my mind. <laughs> the average producer in 2021 lost $275 and over the last four years lost money every year. And the, the best year they lost $122 <laughs> per cow per year in the last four years. That was the best, the best year. And, uh, and I, I would guess, you know, although Minnesota's got some maybe winter feed costs high and stuff, but I would guess that's probably not an uncommon story across the country. And, uh, and it's easy then when you have that to come up with excuses, whatever those excuses are. But I, I've always appreciated and liked that uh, your program has been very much a, uh, a program that promotes, you know, our impact on our profitability and the decisions that we make and how that affects our profitability and not just, a, you know, a, like a lot of people might have a, a woe is me, you know, life is tough. <laughs> Uh, kind of an attitude. So I, I thought I'd bring you on and, and talk about this conversation about, you know, excuses and, and what, what are your thoughts, I guess, in general on, on the industry and making excuses? Well, I appreciate that. And I don't think uh, Minnesota is uh, the only state where that's happening. You know, I, I, I would say even out here in the West where we have some big ranches, uh, land has been paid for for generations you know, a lot of these big ranches that are four or five, six generation ranches, they're borrowing against their equity to stay in business. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can only do that so long. You know, it, it looks good for quite a while. And then, you know, after a while you say, okay, what happened to us? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do think that, and I've always thought, and we promote this as Pharaoh Cattle Company, you, you know, we need to take responsibility for our own success and responsibility for our own failures Mm -hmm. and if we can't do that we're never going to learn anything you know some of the most successful people i know have failed two or three times maybe more to get to where they are Mm -hmm. but they never let that pull them down they never blame something or someone else for that failure you know they just jump back in there said i see what i did wrong and they go at it again again and uh i i'm probably not at that caliber, I wish I was, but I'm, I'm amazed and inspired by people that can, you know, take, take the worst failure and come out, out on top in just a few years. But, uh, it's, if ranching, ranching would be easy if the markets were always up and it rained all the time, you know, that's management and ranching is very easy with, with those, those, uh, two things. But, uh, it's not that way all the time. The markets, we have very little control over the markets. We have no control over, over the rain or other weather, weather 
activity. So it, it's easy. And I catch myself, you know, I, 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 I wrote an article not too long ago about I no longer tolerate excuses. And I don't, you know, I, I try very hard not to with myself, with you or with anyone else, but I still get caught up in that. You know, for example, the other day I went fishing, uh, stayed a few days at our mountain cabin, went fishing. I got skunked. I know there's fish there, but I got skunked. So, you know, I, I want to make an excuse. Okay. The water's high. It's muddy, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's true. But, uh, I have to catch myself because I'm just like a lot of other people. You know, I want to make an excuse for my failure or my, my inability to catch a fish. So, you know, I, I think we like to, uh, myself included, and I have to stop this, but we like to blame the economy. We like to blame the weather. We like to blame uh, the meatpacker, the president, the whatever else is going on in our world. And there's a lot going on and it's not good. Uh, this drought is spanking, spanking us really hard. Uh, the economy is not good. Inflation, you know, the cost of inputs is going up. So there, there's a lot of things I could say, okay, this is why I'm not making a profit. Yeah, you know, I think we need to look beyond that because that's just, that's just a cop out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I guess you, you, you named a lot of probably the more common ones, weather, politics, the markets and industry input providers and suppliers and things like that. Um, you know, this, this drought one, you know, I, I imagine I'm not in your area, but the idea of having to completely destock that, that, that one is, that one's tough. And, and I don't know if there's anything you want to share on that, but the, the, the markets and the, the politics and the packers and things like that, that one, that one kind of frustrates me. It seems like, I mean, how, how does that, why is that excuse not valid? I guess in, in cow calf producers, why why does that not? Which know, which up? one? The the packers and the markets. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I, I guess what we're talking about is excuses, but it's also what I call the blaming game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I look at you know. If I'm if I'm an average farmer or cattleman in Minnesota, in my best year I only lost a hundred dollars per a cow. You know, there's got to be a reason for that because I'm not that dumb. You yeah. know, <laughs> putting myself into that situation, and so we're looking around for anything that we can grab onto and say, "This is why I, I'm not doing it." Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying you know like the packing packer situation. You know, there's a uh, four major packers that have basically formed a monopoly. And and I know this is probably the part that a lot of your listeners, some of your listeners uh, may object to because it's, it's real. I mean, it's not, not something that's uh, fabricated. I think it's a legitimate concern. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends have been fighting this fight for 30, 40 years. Uh, we've still not got anything done. I mean, we're still, they're still fighting the fight. And I look at it a little differently. You know, that, that's good. I'm glad there's people out there fighting this fight and they'll do it for the rest of their life. But a lot of them have gone broke doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these guys are, they're, they're blaming the Packer concentration, the monopoly on poor prices and, and these sort of things. 
but I've, I've been told by a, a gr good friend in Australia that uh, 80% of your profit or loss is made within your own fences. It has nothing to do outside your fence. Hmm. And the people I know right now, we're all under the same situation. We all sell our, our meat, all goes through the same packing houses, uh, same companies. Some of these people are phenomenally profitable and some of them are losing money every year. You know, what's the difference? You know, it, we're, we're all dealing with the same situation, whether it's a uh, weather markets, uh, the Packers, but you know, the ones that are phenomenally profitable are taking care of business within their own fence. You know, they're changing what needs to be changed. They see what needs to be changed. And I, I would say at this point in the beef industry, that's probably what's the biggest holdup is that we're so reluctant and afraid to change what needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, we would rather continue to do things the same way our family was doing it 40 and 50 years ago. And that's not going to work. I mean, inflation is, is huge compared to 40 or 50 years ago. You know, I could buy a new pickup 50 years ago for f less than $5,000. Yeah. Uh, land one-tenth what it costs and what to rent and own now. Uh, fuel prices, none of that's going to go down. It's all mm -hmm. going to get worse and worse and worse. And we're all still dealing with the same thing. But again, some are f very profitable. Yeah. They're building wealth. They're expanding their business. And others are quite frankly, doing good just to break even. Yeah. And maybe where you're frustrated, well, maybe you can explain your frustrations in, in uh, the excuses you hear. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because like you're saying, there's, there's people doing well. And I forgot to mention that with that Finbin data, you can break it out by percentiles. And so I looked at, you know, top 80, 40 or 60, 40, 20th percentiles, and only the top 20% of producers were profitable. But the top 20% of pro producers were profitable. And that shows that, you know, one out of five producers in Minnesota were making money and the rest were not. So, you know, there's definitely, there's something there, something different. And, you know, and I think probably the frustration just comes from being surrounded by people who are proving that it's done. And then when you hear somebody say that, you know, say that it can't be done and that it's the, everybody else's fault, that gets frustrating. And I like what you said about like blame. I guess I hadn't looked excuses and blame kind of go hand in hand because, excuses is passing off the, you know, the responsibility of whatever the lack of profitability onto someone else and blame is the specifics of, of who or what is the reason that you weren't profitable. And I wonder if you, if you just kind of even think about the psychology of, of that, what that does, if you have passed off the blame and the responsibility for your lack of profitability is on somebody else, that leaves you blameless because you passed it off. And, and if you've done nothing wrong, Therefore, there's nothing you can do. You, you, sh it, it completely disincentivizes change. It's, it's probably a lot of times I've always thought maybe of it just as being stubbornness and not wanting to change. But if you pass off blame, like the psychology of that, it, it's probably not even that you're too stubborn to change. It's that you literally don't think you need to. There's nothing you've done wrong. It's everybody else's fault. That's like yeah. your, your lack of profitability or leads to your I, lack of profitability. I, I think you hit the nail on the head better than I could with those statements, you know, I, I do use the word blame. If I can blame you mm -hmm. or the drought or the Packers, then I'm not at, at fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I have nothing to change. As you said, 
Yeah. And therefore, I don't. I just can continue to blame. But at the same time, and that's the beauty of Pharaoh Cattle Company, you, you know, I can look at a thousand customers that aren't blaming anybody and they're very successful. Yeah. You, you know, they're doing things totally different. They're, you know, focused on different things in the same situation as their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it, it is a phenomenon that, uh, and I think we're as, as human beings and maybe, you know, we're, we're going to look for something to, to, to blame it on. You know, the reason I didn't catch a fish isn't because I'm not a good fisherman or I need to work on my technique or I need to change the fly I'm using. You know, the reason I did, I have to, you know, I don't want to take the blame. I'm mm-hmm. going to blame it on somebody else. Yeah. And, and I think that the, we talk about frustration, uh, you know, and let's go back to the Packer situation again. You know, there, like I said, there's, there's a, thousands of people on a crusade to ch- make that change a- a- and I'm, I'm, a, I'm good with that I'm not one of the those that's going to try to change the world there but if it can be done it should be done mm-hmm. what I see happening though is that we're not making any headway uh, the only solution I see is more government control and, you know, I haven't seen anything in my lifetime that the government got involved with and made it uh, any good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was you wondering know, where you were going, where you said that that'll, I'll have to cut that snippet out and see. Kit Farrow says, the only solution I see is more government control. Because <laughs> that was a, a phrase I didn't think I'd hear you say. Well, that's that's their solution. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's not a solution because yeah. it's more government. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, it, I would look at it a little differently say, okay, if this is such a great business, let's get a group of cattlemen together. And they're doing this in places, you know, let's start, let's create our own packing, packing plant, you know, let's, uh, let's do what they're doing. And I suspect that we would find out that it's not as lucrative as we think it is for those guys. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm against any government help control whatever they think it might be yeah well i'm curious like you talked about you you could look at a thousand producers in this feral cattle company kind of program and, and community that are doing just fine what is it that's setting them apart from the producers that are you know they're in the same market the same environments why are they profitable and their neighbors are not probably easier more simple than anybody thinks but uh, I'll, I'll attempt this. You, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll go at it backwards a little bit. But a lot of these crusaders that are trying to change the world because there's something out there to blame, you know, they're still calving their cows in, in a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Now, how how is that ever going to be profitable? If you live in the northern states and it's still snowing in April and you're calving in March and April in the snowstorm, there's no green grass. Uh, there's snow on the ground. You're working your tails off to, you know, save calves. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Just turn your bulls out a, a month or two later in the summertime. And, and calving is beautiful. You know, we here in eastern Colorado, we start calving uh, the first week or two in May. Uh, we're done calving in 40 days, 45, 45 days. Uh, we're, we're on green grass or as green as we're ever going to get. <laughs> Uh, no storms, no, 
you know, it doesn't have to be that complicated. You, you know, I, I get, I get frustrated in, you know, like in March and February, uh, these Northern storms come in and they kill a lot of cattle and calves. And, you know, here these ranchers are being, uh, put up there on a pedestal because they're, they're working their tails off to save these poor baby calves. Yeah. You, you know, that's a, it's, that's the opposite. So, you know, when you're calving in the middle of a snowstorm and your neighbors are not calving until May, there's a huge difference in profitability. Uh, you know, the, the amount of hay you have to feed if you're going to calve in the wintertime is phenomenal. You know, a cow that doesn't calve until green grass is coming, she doesn't need near as much supplement or hay in the wintertime. Uh, you, you know, other things would be uh, cow size. You, you know, most producers in most environments have cows that are too big to be profitable in any environment. Mm-hmm. Even under the best of situations, you know, we could solve all the market problems and you're still going to have a hard time making money with a cow that eats too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, gra- grass uh, management, this is something you're you're very familiar with. But, you know, through grass management, I can do things the same way my grandpa did 50 years ago, or I can do a better job and increase my my grass production by 50 to 200 percent, you know. That's not that hard, but instead of changing those simple things, you know, some people would rather blame somebody else. That way they don't have to change. They don't yeah. feel the need to change. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. The feed costs. And I think I've heard you talk in the past about where you think maybe the average producer that you work with, uh, cost of production or cost to keep a cow is per year. Do you have any ideas where that might fall for most of the producers? I think the average nationwide is over $800. Does that sound about right? I think that's outdated. I, Minnesota's was over a thousand. My dad was just saying that in Canada, he was up in his up in Canada and the average producer up there was around 1240 Canadian. You know, I, I, I would guess it's, you know, around a thousand now. But yeah. And it, it could be, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, get these, whenever something comes across, I grab it. And that's probably been six years ago when I, yeah. Yeah. I saw the eight hundred dollars, and I would say our our most of our customers, longtime customers, are you in the four to five wow. mac topping out at six. I mean, yeah, there's a big difference. You know, that's a it's all in in how you manage your place. I mean, you can't you can't have monster cows calving in the middle of the winter with no grass management and make any money. I mean, if you're if your program in any environment is based on feeding large amounts of hay, you're not going to make any money. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Like let's say the average cost of a cow is $900 across the U S and I can see then why you can say the market, you know, if they're paying me nine, 900 bucks a calf, you know, they need to be paying me a thousand bucks a calf. That's, that would be fair. They're, they're squeezing us too much, but if you're at 600 bucks a calf, it doesn't matter if it takes you 600 bucks to produce a cow, it doesn't make a difference if the packer pays you 900 bucks or a thousand or 800 bucks or 700 bucks, you're still, yeah, that's, it's just, you know, there's so much you, margin you, there. You can matter. make money with almost half of what it, it takes for somebody else to break even. Yeah. You know, that's uh and that's phenomenal. That allows you to build a bigger place to uh, store up wealth, to 
build a place for your the next generation. Mm. You know, you asked, you know, what's the difference? You know, I, th- I think, and Pharaoh Cattle Company has been talking about this probably forever. You know, probably have been hitting it extra hard in the last 10, 10 years. But the industry as a whole has been focused since for 50 years, over 50 years, or right at 50 years, on increasing pounds per animal. I mean, that's uh, I grew up in that. You, you know, you 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 grew up in that. But the, our goal is to increase weaning weights, basically, or carcass weights, or this or that. And and if that's the case, you know, we're going to do it. Basically, in the last, well, we're not increasing weaning weights anymore. In fact, weaning weights have not increased significantly for twenty years, and yet we're that's all we're the industry is selecting for. But you know, we basically. In 30 years, 40 years, we doubled our weaning weights, but nobody doubled their profits. I mean, profits from 50 years ago mm-hmm. are a lot less now than they were then. And so it's a, the, the focusing on the wrong thing, you know, is, and this is where we got started back in the 1980s. That At that time, the goal of the, everybody that I could see in the industry, including our universities, was you know, increase weaning weights, do what you can. We, we got the tools, we can make that happen. And we did, but myself led by a couple of lot smarter people than me said, that's not what we need to do. We need to increase pounds or production per acre. And when you do that, the whole world changes. You know, if I can increase my stocking rate by mm-hmm. 30, 40, 50%. Now I got 50% more cows producing 50% more calves. If, if I can uh, change my, if I can change my grazing management to where, you know, instead of running a hundred cows, I can run 150 cows on the same acres. Those are simple things that, but they require, mm-hmm. require change. And uh, you said it earlier better than I, I've heard, yeah. but change won't happen if you don't think you have anything to change. If you, if you can keep blaming somebody else. And so unfortunately, you know, I think there's a lot of family farms and ranches that are slowly going broke and some have gone broke, but they're not going to be passed on to the next generation. Yeah. And, and as I'm kind of hearing you talk and thinking through this, like the one that I've always wondered, yeah, but how the one excuse that in my mind still is almost viable is like this weather thing. You know, if you're in a drought and you got to destock 50% or whatever, you know, how do you do that? But as I'm hearing you talk, like, if there's another 300 bucks in, in profit on every calf, you can afford to destock pretty significantly. And if you don't have payments on a tractor and a TMR mixer and all the equipment for hay harvesting and all this overhead and all this labor that, you know, when you destock 50%, you still got to make those payments over fewer cows, you know, that that's a struggle. But if your overhead is virtually nothing and you've got all this profit margin, you can afford to destock pretty significantly and still remain yeah. profitable in a, in a drought or in poor weather. So even unless it's a super well, extreme drought, even then there's still yeah, room so, for profit. I, I was going to go somewhere and then I, I lost my track of train of thought. But, you know, for, for most cow-calf producers, especially in my area, you know, drought is, is the norm. I, I mean, it's not something that just popped out and now we're suffering. Most of the last 22 years have been drought years for us. We have destocked many times during that time not one time it was totally we we totally destocked you got rid of everything 
the other times, you know, we would hold on to our bred heifers or our heifer calves, but it, it, it's not something that uh, plagues us just once in a while. It's something you, you need to plan on. And as long as you're doing everything right, you'll get through it. it it's, it's normal. And as you said, you know, if, if uh, someone needs a lot less money to make a profit, he's going to make a profit. Uh, I, I like what Bud Williams once said, you know, you'll never go broke having too much, too much money in the bank. You'll never go, go broke having too much grass, but it's real easy to go broke if you have too many cattle at the wrong time. So the, the logic behind that is when you're in a drought, you know, have a plan at a certain point, I've got to destock. I've got to get rid of some cattle. I don't have the rain to grow the grass. Therefore, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to turn cattle into money. I'll put that money in a bank and mm -hmm. come back later and yeah. buy cattle when it rains. But it, it, it's just a trading, trading things off there. And uh, I hate drought. You know, I, I would rather deal mm -hmm. with poor markets or anything than drought because I feel helpless. But I'm not helpless, you know, and, and that's the same thing, you know, I, I somewhat promote to these guys that are in a drought right now. Most ranchers, again, have cows that are too big. They're bred for the wrong thing. Uh, this would be a great time to go into that herd and take out 50 percent of your biggest cows, your hardest keeping cows, the ones that uh, are mm -hmm. have to be fed to breed, breed up. Uh, get rid of those cows. Keep the ones that. Uh, take a lot less feed, can stand more drought, breed them to the right bulls, produce more cattle just like them. I mean, that's a huge opportunity. I, I know people that will come out of this drought in much better shape than they went into it because now they've got a profitable cower that they, they can grow on. Whereas a lot of them will just sit there on the same cows too long until they have no grass, no money, and no cows. Uh, pretty hard to come back with no grass, no money, no cows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough place to be, especially if you have a whole bunch of debt and payments to make in the meantime. Yeah. And that, that was the other thing I was going to touch on. Uh, you know, we're basically, as cow-calf producers, we are in a, the solar, a solar energy business. We take free solar energy. We convert it into a high-quality food product. We don't need very much debt. Mm -hmm. You know, I... I I went 10 years without even owning a, a, an acre of grass. When I bought at 10 years, I bought the place I live on and have been expanding since then. You know, once you learn how to make money in this business, once you have a profitable operation, then you can start buying grass because none of your neighbors can afford it. You, you know, they're, they're not making money. Uh, but we don't need a lot of debt. If, if I'm going to have debt, it's going to be on, on land. And, and I hate that almost as much as uh, any other debt. But, uh, you know, if I, I, I'm not going to buy a pickup and borrow money to buy a pickup. I'm not going to buy a tractor and borrow money to buy a tractor. It doesn't pay off. Yep. All choices. Yeah. We have choices. And if you do need to buy something, the simple choice is the difference between buying a brand new and an old too. There's, there's lots of choices that we make and it all impacts, yeah. but, um, do you have any final thoughts, anything else you want to share on this kind of topic of excuses? We kind of, I kind of drove us around different, differently, you know, topics, but uh, yeah, any, any final thoughts? Well, I think, yeah, I do. 
always have spinal thought. <laughs> Good. I think the only people that are going to be truly successful are those who take responsibility for their life, their business, their family. Don't play the blame game because if you play the blame game, you see no reason to change anything. And before long, you've lost everything. Uh, the other thing that I, I noticed that during drought, uh, during poor markets, during depressions, during the worst of times, there are always people that will come out better than others. I see that with this drought. I mean, this drought has got a stranglehold on a lot of ranchers, but when it's done, there will be ranchers coming out of this thing with money, with cows, better cows, uh, and with grass. And, and it's going to be just like they are in Australia right now. You know, everything's going to be worth a lot of money there for a couple of years. So, you know, there'll be some ready to take advantage of that. And there'll be some that, uh, again, they're out of money, they're out of cows, they're out of grass. The Great Depression of the 1930s, I've, I've read and studied this, but uh, more people became millionaires during the Great Depression, the eight, 10 years of the Great Depression, than any other time in history. How did that happen? You, you know, while everybody else is blaming the depression, the economy, the lack of jobs, this or that, the drought. I mean, you know, this part of the world had one of the worst droughts, probably the worst drought in history during the same same time period. Everybody was dealing with the same situation. Some came out on top of the world, millionaires, and some went bankrupt. You know, it's a, again, it's a, it's a mindset that I see those that, well, while most people were blaming the economy, the drought and everything else, a few people were making the changes that were necessary. They, they saw opportunities where everybody else saw problems. To, to me, that's, that's a big thing. You know, I've spent my life looking real hard for opportunities. And I've found a lot of, them. you know, I'm, uh, in all my years, I've, I've found that, you know, with the proper attitude, you're going to see opportunities where nobody else is seeing anything. And, and, and that's, that's, I guess I would challenge people to, you know, be smart, take responsibility. That causes you to change, uh, change what needs to be changed. You know, don't just change for the sake of being changing, but uh, there's a lot of things that most ranchers need to change. I, uh, I remember a quote that uh, uh, I've heard credited to two different people, but I think it started with Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin says, those who are good at making excuses are seldom good at anything else. And uh, you know, Trevor Brazil, who was many times world champion cowboy, all around cowboy, I, you know, I've heard him say the same thing. Mm. And uh, he, that relate, I relate to that a little bit better because Trevor made no excuses. Trevor worked hard to do all these things right, whereas it's re real easy for his competitors to say, well, he makes an excuse for his horse, makes an excuse for this or that. Don't make excuses. If, if you're those who are good at making excuses are seldom good at anything else. And I don't go to the local coffee shops. I hear what goes on at some of them. But, you know, the people that we hang around with, and I'm blessed because I, I'm surrounded by the most positive people in the world. And they're only a phone call away. But 
that that's rare in agriculture. You know, it's easy to find people that are whining and complaining about the drought, the economy, the cattle markets, whatever else. That's not going to help you. You know, you need to hang around the right kind of people. They need to be the kind of people that challenge you to quit feeling sorry for yourself and, to, you know, stand up and make something happen. Yeah, no, that's, those are a lot of, a lot of great thoughts. I could add to it, but I think that's a good place to stop. There's a lot of good value there. Um, no, thanks. Thanks, Kit, for sharing that. Um, I'll give you the opportunity to plug, you know, as usual, any, you know, how people can reach out or if there's any, I'm not sure when the upcoming sales are. Next, if you want to give a shout out for when those are anything uh, here, and then then we'll wrap up. Okay, we're we're developing, and I was kind of surprised to know how many bulls we are developing, but we're developing about 670 bulls on grass in four different states. We've got uh, bulls in Texas that heat tolerant bulls in Texas that will sell in Alabama. We've got bulls in Colorado. Uh, really it's hard to develop bulls on grass when there's not very much grass, but we're doing it. We've got a set of bulls in Nebraska that will sell in Valentine, Nebraska. And then we've got a set of bulls being developed in Montana. All of these sales are going to be taking place in November and the first week in December. So if you're interested in cattle with producing cattle with the right genetics, the right size, the, the you know, for I, I call them almost drought tolerant. I mean, there is no such thing as a drought tolerant, but there is drought tolerance. You know, low maintenance cattle that uh, require little little feed to produce what they're they're doing. You know, that's mm-hmm. uh, as close as you're going to get, and that's that's basically what we've been producing for over 30 years. A few of your your listeners probably are not receiving our weekly emails. I'd encourage them to go to our our website and sign up for our weekly emails. I'm going to, you know, with stuff like we've talked about today, I'm, I'm going to challenge some traditional thinking because traditional thinking is, is no longer right. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to be a success in this business, if you're going to have something to turn over to the next generation, you're going to have to do things differently. No, that's great. And, and for those, the website, the sign up for that is feralcattle.com, correct? That's correct. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, Kit. I appreciate you coming on and and talking about this topic with me today. I enjoyed it. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Faro Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Faro Cattle Company at farocattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.